Hi folks, welcome to Boys Will Be Human. This podcast is about toxic masculinity. It is a narrow and repressive description of manhood, designating manhood as defined by violence, sex, status, or aggression. It doesn't allow boys to express how they feel, and when that builds up inside without a healthy expression, some dangerous events can happen. Also, being toxic doesn't automatically mean you're hurting others. You can still hurt just yourself and be toxic. I am toxic, we are all toxic, and it's because of our culture that has instilled certain gender norms that we, quote-unquote, should follow. I believe this is the cause of many problems in this world, and step one is to talk about it. Talk about our feelings, our ups, our downs, our experiences, and our solutions for a better future. Thank you so much for listening. Let's begin. I, my first thought was, this is really timely, and then I was, what I was telling Paul earlier was, I was more surprised about, or I was more interested in how it was received when it came out in 2000. Six or 2005 because there wasn't this type of like I I wouldn't think this would be timely at 2005 to America or England even but now it's like it hits like everything that we're going through yeah it's wild (laughs) I think it was still I mean it's still applicable in certain aspects of American society right like here it was the Bush years we were at war Uh, that war was fueled by fear you know, we were afraid of another 9-11 happening. Um, so I think True. it was still, I think it was still very timely and applicable. Right now in 2020, it's like way too applicable. Like it's way too like, that's like tomorrow. Like this is like, this is the cusp yeah. of what is to come, you know? Especially when they sent in like the militia or like the um, the guards right. to mm-hmm. take out all the people. <laughs> it's like, this is is portland like i was just thinking right. that or other as well as other states but as well as other cities but maybe it's because i was i was because i was so aware of what was going on today i wasn't like shocked at the at the imagery because it's happening so i, I wasn't like oh my god what an idea that could possibly happen right i was just like yeah it's happening <laughs> which is which is unfortunate like i don't want to think like oh yeah this is fine the the world of v for vendetta is happening more or less i had a moment where i was trying to sort of put my thoughts into some recognizable format and just after about an hour was like i i can't talk about this movie in a clear-cut clean way because there is so much going on and there is so much that i mean it's all it's all we've all already been saying the the depressingly strong relevance this movie has to the way a lot of people have been feeling for the last few months. And like I was saying to Josh just a few minutes ago, it really, like, I don't think I've ever watched it and really felt the stakes of this thing before, truly, in a, in a, in a real way until now, which was, it was hard because it was really, it really is so, you know, we're all in such anxious, crazy, you know, unknown states that it's really difficult to watch. I mean, I haven't watched anything super serious in a really long time because it's just so hard to do that. It's so hard to really put your mind to it and think about it. But what I really love about this movie, and I think that is something that makes it a little bit more palatable at this juncture is the fact that we got to witness when you watch this movie you be, especially right now in 2020 you get to witness this really stunning act of rebellion i mean it's really the movie itself is an act of rebellion but i'm actually talking it's really yeah like when that train 
I mean, I'm assuming, I don't, I, I was, I almost just said spoiler alert, but I feel like people that are watching this or that are going right. to listen to this know they're going how to the be movie is. The they're going to yeah. know. <laughs> so hopefully it's not spoiling, but like. Yeah, no, you're good. You're good. There was a, I had a strong moment of catharsis when that train hit Parliament and it exploded. I mean, there was a, I had a real emotional reaction to that moment and I haven't had. I've had emotional reactions to this movie before, but that specific one was always like, there was a spect. I never really got it, I think, for what they were going for until this time. So it is really interesting to me that this is the first time that you've seen it because, I mean, like I said, it's, I can't imagine what it would be like to watch this movie for the first time right now. Because I think the main thing for me would, it would be hard to grapple with the fact that it's a 14 year old movie. It's like, oh, did this just get made within the last few months? Like, it's... But I think that's the thing. I mean, again, if you, you know, to, to, to go back to the question you asked me seven minutes ago when I started talking, um, <laughs> I think that what I remember from when the film came out, um, which I believe was initially supposed to be November, but they had to push it for some stupid reason. So I think it ended up coming out in March. Um, I was 16. I was at that point, like into movies, but I don't necessarily think I'd had enough access to really have like honed a taste yet. So I think I remember just hearing about how it was a really incredible action film that you can also like think about a little bit. And like, you know, you come for the spectacle, but if you want a little bit more story, it's there. I can't imagine anybody right now watching this movie and walking away just thinking about the spectacle. I mean, I think it's totally flipped in that way where like all I was paying attention to truly was the story and how insane this story is how beyond comprehension how well it's written first of all it is a pretty brilliant screenplay i mean and i'm just talking about that i'm talking about that part of it and then you add on the visuals that like there are so many scenes that just like pop out and it's crazy it's crazy but you still really focus on the story you're still like kind of forced to think about the fact that like, oh my God, this is, if we don't vote this fucker out in a couple months, like this is what's happened. This is what is going to happen. This is the next step. And that's so hard to do, but also I think that's where the spectacle comes in this time where it's like, you're, you still are able to enjoy the experience because visually it's just an impeccable. It's so beautiful. And one thing that I will say about it first coming out, I don't remember ever being so taken aback than the first time I saw this movie because the mask wasn't commodified yet and the mask wasn't everywhere. The right. visual of that face with the all black, I remember the first time seeing it, like literally not being able to take my eyes off of him because it was just like, what is this? Oh, yeah. Victorian, the, the face is so otherworldly, but like somehow this movie, without ever actually seeing this person's face, like right. makes you, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I cannot begin. And this is how my thought, this is why I don't write notes <laughs> because like it just all sort of this comes up. The note taking was like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah. Josh, I mean, I, I, you said that you had some thoughts. I think probably what were your sort of, yeah, I want, like, initial reactions, just kind of, like... Yeah. I enjoyed it. I wasn't freaked out by it, even though it's today. I thought it was so well done, but my... Yeah, my first thought of everything was, like, I wonder what this meant in 2006, like, if it was crazy to believe. I was trying to think of it in the, in the scope of the, the podcast as well with toxic masculinity, and um, 
I don't know. I couldn't, I, I was trying to think of like the toxic characters. Obviously the, the chancellor is the worst and what's his name? The guy has no soul. He's like Creedy. Yeah. Um, the head of the fingermen. And then what I couldn't spot anything about V except for the fact that he like creates Evie by making that fake setup. Right. What do you, what do you guys think about V? <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess trying. I guess we're trying to. Well, I guess we're trying to wrangle it into the podcast idea. But if not, I think he's incredibly fine. toxic. Yeah, that was that was. If I'm being honest, honest. yeah, as you should be. No, no, please tell me because I couldn't. Yeah, go ahead, Paul. Take I couldn't. I can't well, easily grasp it. So, so here's the thing about this this podcast, and I think why it's such a fascinating conversation is that. Um, Toxic masculinity is not always something that someone has learned. And I guess learned isn't necessarily the good word, but V is someone who I think participates in toxic masculinity because he is the ultimate representation and a very multifaceted representation of the oppressed. And he's someone who is, and I think it's very interesting and I never really noticed this until this time I watched it is that you never and if I'm wrong and I just missed it this time because I was so kind of overwhelmed, please correct me. But I don't believe in this film you ever actually find out what was wrong with V that landed him in the institution. Nope. And I think that that is something very important because why, I mean, why I think that is important is that, you know, if, if throw, throwing some, okay. I don't even I don't even know where to start. Anyway, <laughs> so V, I think that point definitely I think is really important. The fact that we never learn what it, it what his affliction was or what the government what the issue was that lands V in what from what the film tells you is not just a detention center but one of the worst detention centers. I mean, if we're I remember a lot. You're testing biological weapons on you, so yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. You're I mean, going I'm, to die here because we're trying to build a weapon. So this was more than just this was more than just these people have a problem with you. This is these people have a problem with you and don't view you as human and are therefore going to use your bodies basically as um, a test a testing facility, which I think you know we we view this and we sort of think, oh my God, how horrible this is. But there are so many examples of that happening over history that like, it's, you know, I, I think that when I saw this movie in 2006, it was more entertaining because this stuff wasn't front of mind. I think maybe one of the reasons that it was so successful is that they were kind of doing a covert warning sign. They were kind of wrapping up this really interesting tale of, this is what's going to happen. And, and not only is it, you know, not only could it happen, but this is also such a terrible society that it creates a monster. I mean, like Ethan, the last time we recorded, you brought up that, uh, the really amazing line is that what was done to be was monstrous. And in turn, he is this perfect creation out of the world. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy where this world creates these broken individuals that, eventually go on to end the societies that created them it's i thought it was brilliant i mean watching it this time i really the arc of this story i never really i never took it seriously until now and i i I was 
blown away by it and and the ending is so poignant but i think again if we're going back to 2006 i think this movie was able to get away with doing all this stuff because there is so much spectacle i just don't think i noticed it that much this time around because my mind was on holy fuck how did they how did they predict 2020 14 years ago like how did they do this how did they get like some of the chancellor's speeches like are donald trump like i they're word for word the same thing basically and it's so we're talking about V's and talks masculinity. <laughs> <laughs> is, that where, is that where we start? So anyway, so I mean, that I guess that does kind of tie in because I do think V is very toxic. He does he does horrible things, and he what he does to Evie in a very plain viewpoint is incredibly horrible. I mean, th- if you think about it's, what he it's did. Horrendous. The physical act. I mean, yeah, and then divorcing it from everything else, divorcing it from what he believed he was doing, and ultimately, which is crazy to me about this this movie, is that they really show this woman grow from this horrible thing that a man does to her, and ultimately, it doesn't even become about that any longer because ultimately, she is bo- she's truly born again out of this experience. But it's a horrible thing that he does, and I think if you were to look yeah. at it divorcing it again from everything else it's just it's a terrible thing but like i kind of said at the beginning his toxic traits i don't think are necessarily things that he had before it's all a byproduct of being treated that way a human guinea pig and and finally and and being the one who's finally like I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to burn this place to the ground, not give a shit about who gets killed, not really think about that because I need to do something. And if no one else is going to do it, I'm going to do it. And that in and of itself is a kind of toxic behavior trait where you think that you're the only person. I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just saying that is a that's a tricky thing. And obviously thinking I know so much about the world and I know exactly what needs to be done to the point that I'm going to torture a woman and starve her and psychologically manipulate her for months so that she can be the best woman she can be. I mean, it's this weird, it's this like, yeah, watch the movie and we, and we're like, Oh my God, it makes sense. But like, we're cheering for the abuser. We're cheering for the abuser. And it's this weird thing where the film acknowledges that. I mean, there certainly does, there's a definitely a period of time where she doesn't see him and is, and even when she goes back to see him is very upset with him in the beginning. But then it's that weird trick of him kind of saying, well, yeah, look at, look at what, look at this society. Look at what I've done to you. And it's not necessarily something coming from his heart. It's coming from his experience. All I think that's probably his most toxic trait is that ultimately this is all coming from his experience. If V, if the man who was V had never been sent to one of these camps, the worst camp, would he have still joined the resistance? Would he be fighting? Like, we don't know. We know- Would he have started a resistance? Would he have fought for it for 20 years before the culmination of this November the 5th, right? Like- Yeah. Yeah, so I think he's incredibly toxic, but it's it's a tricky one because it's not what you would expect toxic masculinity to look like. It's a lot more insidious. Yeah. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's a lot more um i mean it's 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 kind of in a in a twisted way it's kind of like whatever experiments they did to him worked they changed him in some way they altered his biology yeah and he's a different person now and yes he you know sort of had no choice and yes ultimately his act of rebellion and we're we're certainly led to believe that i mean with with the way this film is ending we're we're given hope that this is going to create real change but i think it's interesting to examine what that would mean and what space you would need to be in to get to a place where the only way you thought you could bring about change is to burn everything to the ground and do terrible things. I mean, what he does to Evie truly is unforgivable. I mean, if I had any issues with this movie at all, it's the weird romantic reconciliation at the end, which like still in my head with the way they tell the story, it does kind of make sense and you don't necessarily don't believe it. But it's one of those things where I'm like, I just don't know if she would ever truly forgive him for that even if it was something she benefited from, even if it was something that made her grow stronger, how do you then truly become okay with the person that did that to you? That's, I think, one hurdle well, that, I like... Reconcile that fact. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, for me, I think it it comes back to it's got to be some sort of Stockholm Syndrome, right? Like, it's yeah. got to be some sort of... That's what I thought. ...remnant of of that experience, of her experience with the... Because, I mean, let's be real, it's toxic when he takes her to the rooftop to show her the explosion of the Bailey. Yeah. He protects her from rapists and then endangers her life forever, literally, yeah. by taking her to a rooftop. He knows their surveillance systems. He knows that they're going to have video of that eventually. Like, there's no way after 20 years of studying all of the things he studied, he wouldn't know that. Yeah. So then he endangers he is the reason that she is endangered this entire movie. True. And, and it just goes downhill from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. In terms of like toxicity. Yes. I do think he's like an absolute product of his environment and it's, yeah. and it's his environment from Lark Hill until the end of the movie. Right. Yeah. It is who they created him to be with their experiments, obviously increased kinesthesiology is how they like say it but it's funny um yeah yeah but they also mentioned that he doesn't remember anything of his past so it's not just that we don't learn about his past it's that he doesn't even know who he is up until that point where he's being experimented on which i think is funny because it doesn't really relate to him knowing what the 5th of november would be unless that was like that one thing in his head um it's interesting because V is, he is a monster. He is the monster that Evie says they created. And he only really gets that redemption at the end from her. He gets that redemption in saying, this isn't about me. I was created by this world. This world destroyed everything that I thought was great. This world created the monster that I am and is the one you live in. But I'm not the one who gets to decide if it ends. Because I was a product of this world. So my decision to end this world isn't really my decision. It should be yours. And so him giving her the control of pulling that leather lever or not at the very end, I think is his act of redemption because he is an anti-hero. He is absolutely an anti-hero this entire time. He is a terrorist. He's also a freedom fighter. It's all about perspective. So it's like, yeah, 
you know, are we cheering for the terrorists that blew up a building, you know, that attacked Jordan Tower and killed all of those police officers and basically anyone who got in his way that stood up to him to enact his end goal? I mean, he left it in the hands of someone he knew was actually able to make the decision for the right reason. He understood that he had become so engulfed by this. He was almost just as bad as they were. And Mm -hmm. he wasn't, he was no longer truly burning down parliament for the reasons that he was even purport, he was saying that he was doing it. And I think he knows in those moments of him dying with her, you know, I mean, maybe that is the reason that she has to still be romantic to him at the end, because it's that humanness in her that she still has an attachment to the man who basically (laughs) abused her for three months straight, where he's kind of like, fuck, she has to, she has to be the one to do it. And like, I think that that's really, that's definitely his redemption moment. And I think that it's, you know, you can view it. I mean, you can view it all many, many different ways. I mean, that's, you know, I had so many thoughts of trying to put together, like, you know, I was, you know, I spent some time thinking about like, okay, well, let's think about V, let's think about the things like his tastes, everything. What would it have, what was it that he was thrown into Lark Hill for? Because we never get a general, I mean, you know, we do get a sense of the things that the, the fingermen are taking people away from, but we don't get all of it. And, you know, if you think back to events like, um, you know, previous times that human beings have been gathered up and, you know, sent off to die, it wasn't just... Nazi Germany. Yes, exactly. I, I didn't want to go there, but there, there it is. And... Um, <laughs> You know, it I mean, wasn't the obvious relevance of this movie, right? Is like I mean, that's, absolutely. I, think, I mean, we were talking about how it, was, how it was received and how it was taken in 2005. I mean, everyone has learned about the Holocaust. Everyone understands that this is what authoritarian government can look like. This mm-hmm. is what fascism can look like. Mm-hmm. And you know, you don't necessarily attack other people; you attack your own populace. So, oh, it, it, sure. it's a very clear picture of yeah, this is what that looks like but now totally and and not only is it the people that they are specifically targeting but i know that there were also and and they've you know they've studied this and looked into this that there were quite a few people that were also sent to internment camps who were sent for opposing nazi rule it wasn't necessarily these people that were being so for me that's the kind of that's the kind of thinking i came to is that v doesn't necessarily even need to be someone who was gay or Um, you know, all the different things that they were rounding people up for. He could have just opposed it, which almost, in a weird way, it would almost make more sense that he's this intellectual, because, like, he may not remember his life, but brains don't just zip away when your memory goes away. He's clearly a genius level. He, He has this crazy intelligence about him that, like, is one of the things I think that fools us really into liking him so much is that he's so goddamn smart. And not only that, he's cultured. He doesn't keep money or, or gold, you know, crap in his, he keeps works of art. He keeps paintings and a jukebox for the first time really realizing how toxic V is. I've never been more fascinated by just him as a person. I just kept being like, who the fuck is this guy who <laughs> likes, likes Count of Monte Cristo and, and right. 
you know, obviously that's a different, he has that connection for a different reason, but like was obviously cultured enough that in this modern time was watching classic films and was playing music. Like who was this, this man? And oh, Crimea River plays twice. Still the best song. Still the best song. So good. But yeah, I mean, I think he's, you know, it's, 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 it's one of the really tricky cases of toxic masculinity where one, it, it truly is. I mean, toxic masculinity I think certainly is a behavior that comes about either nature versus nurture. I think it can really be both. I think it can be one or the other. And these for me truly, I think comes out of nurture or lack thereof. I mean, I, I don't truly see how a man that well read that well endowed with knowledge would have been someone who was consciously a toxic person. It doesn't, it, I just don't buy that. It, seemingly really just comes from this horrific experience and that's the thing that's hard is like you you really do have to examine the way you think about it sometimes because some people don't have a choice in this stuff some people it is literally tortured into them I think certainly with V it's it's such a specific case because as you say we're we're introduced to so little of his life before this but I don't know, with all the books he has, with all the paintings, with all of the stuff, it's kind of, for me, I'm kind of like, I didn't buy for a second that he was someone who was toxic until he was literally, you know, destroyed of his humanity. What's hard for me is to reconcile, yes, he's this educated person, and he's such a conundrum too, because I'm sure you guys have noticed this, but when he cooks Evie breakfast, he has this flowery apron on, Yeah, <laughs> he flips it perfectly, like, yeah. he's completely contradicting the typical, like, box toxic masculine traits that you would put most people in, right? Like, most people wouldn't be comfortable enough to cook, to wear a flowery apron. He has manners. He's polite. He is this very cultured person, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because it's hard for me, in my mind, I don't see how he reconciles being this cultured person, being surrounded by art, being surrounded by, you know, lived experience of, you know, past generations, to have all of that and then also be able to, like that, commit great acts of violence with little to no regard for the human life on the end of them. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, and I, I really only thought about this this last time viewing it, and I've seen it probably 20 times, which is a lot. But... Um, <laughs> but V is born from fire and wrath. Yeah. His, his entire experience is in Lark Hill. It is, you know, his body's changed. He forgets everything. He blows up Lark Hill. And in that moment of explosion and fiery, like turmoil, he finds himself the same way that Evie finds herself being born in rain. Right. And it brings her back to Valerie's story, which is my grandma always said God was in the rain, right? And Evie is this person who keeps her empathy and keeps her humanity even when she loses all her fear. She goes through the same thing that V does. She, She reads the same experience and comes out an entirely different sort of person. Yeah. And that is the type of person that V needs to eventually get his redemption and and realize that, you know, what he was doing isn't necessarily his call or, you know, or is his right to 
to complete what he's doing. Uh, I just thought it was interesting because, yeah, he's born of fire, she's born of water, and, like, they're opposites, but at the end of the day, they kind of coalesce into this beautiful marriage of, yes, he was toxic, he was a terrible person to her, and she knows that and forgives him for it, and then almost loves him despite it. Yeah. Maybe because of it, who knows? I mean, again, Stockholm Syndrome. (laughs) Right, but I think the really interesting thing about that is that the only time she ever actually admits her love for him is when she's not technically under his control. It's after after all of this has happened that she really... and, And maybe, I mean, I think that this, you know, we... I have heard many people say over the years that you should never meet your heroes or you should never meet people that you like really look up to. And it's so interesting because I think at the end of the movie, what he becomes, because she doesn't get to love him. Even if she figures out that she's in love with him, he dies five minutes later. Like the, the love is, it is inter- it was an interesting thing to me because I never bought that the two of them would actually be a thing. And that's why I thought the, you know, maybe it isn't romantic love. I, I don't know. I mean, I think obviously like they, they kissed and there's like a lot of tension in that way, but it's almost like, it's almost like he sees in her what he wished he could have been. And that's, I think that that's when he says, I fell, you know, I fell in love again. Like I never thought that I could. Right. I don't necessarily know if it's love in terms of like, I want to be with you romantically, but it's like, he never thought that he would actually meet a Valerie, someone who could hold on to everything that's amazing. Cause he never met or Valerie. Valerie's roof or Valerie's roof. Like how she talks about being on the set of salt flats and right. Right. You know, it wasn't important because she did well in the movie or that it was a big seller, but like that's where she first kissed Ruth yes. and knew that yes. she didn't want another set of lips for the rest of her life. Yeah. And she had three years of roses. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Josh, you want to jump in <laughs> You want to jump in here? <laughs> <laughs> I was you like, this is very A and B and you're just seeing what happens. <laughs> hey, hey. I feel like that was last week with Parks and Rec, so I'm getting left to watch. <laughs> Next time we we'll watch a movie that Paul hasn't seen, maybe we'll talk oh, about. Please. Yeah, no, I don't know. Um, find, I, think. I know, yeah, <laughs> uh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> to be honest, I didn't really care about V's past life because it's not what set his story forward for me. So learning that people could be homosexual to get in there, or just to like Evie's mom, or saying like, "Oh, we." go against the what's going on so they're going to go into there for me it wasn't about the idea of why he was in there it was just the fact that they were there and so when he got created i was like oh okay that's interesting you know and then right yeah hearing you guys talk about him now i'm just like yeah that's very very toxic uh jesus (laughs) they do a good job of hiding it and they they do a really good job of making him this cool funny charming it's vi- intelligent they they trick you they really do they make you think oh my god this guy's fucking awesome and then it's, you kind of have to look at it and be like oh but he's doing these horrible things <laughs> yeah and killing people yeah i mean i think you know again to to sort of think about it in terms of when this movie came out 
George Bush was bad. He was a bad president. And he was, you know, the invasion, all of that stuff is is really, really, really bad. It, it you know. His handling of Katrina. Everything. I mean, he just, yeah. he did a horrible job. Um, but I think when the movie was coming out, it was almost like, oh, this is this is just an exaggerated, over-the-top version of what we're living in right now. This is so beyond the pale. I mean, George Bush isn't smart enough to become one of these chancellors. Like, I, I don't think there was this fear in the way that there is now where it's like Donald Trump basically is John Hurt's character and yeah he's not smart but he's manipulative and we learned that they don't necessarily have to be smart to be dangerous they just have to be evil and don't give a shit and convincing and do things in a way where you don't give people a choice and I don't think that there was that fear I mean just so many people thought of George Bush as this fucking idiot and they weren't really scared of him in the way that Trump has proven that scary can be dangerous so what like watching it now it's so much it's so much different because I'm like am I watching a movie or is this like a deep fake where they've just put what's his name Donald Trump's voice into John Hurt's face like truly I mean like it's it's the kind of thing that it's so starkly aligned with what we're seeing right now and it just wasn't in 2006 yeah george bush was stupid but he wasn't a dictator he was just a dumbass texan who got really lucky with who his daddy is and somehow wound up in the presidency george bush um donald trump is a sociopath and and that's the difference i think that who's actually at the helm is the difference now for me in terms of the viewing lens of 2006 2006 versus 2020 and it just wasn't as believable i don't know maybe i'm speaking from, from my own experience of being 16 but i never in a million years thought that v for vendetta would happen when george bush was president now that we're living in trump's america i'm like we really do need to vote him out because in in two years this could be the world we're looking at because of how fucking evil he is and how much he doesn't give a shit about anybody else but himself so it's 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 again i keep saying that i i find it really i can't even imagine what it would have what it must have been like to watch this movie for the first time right now i think that's probably nuts i don't know if i could have handled it i probably would have had to turn it off halfway through if i was watching it for the first time right now i would just been like no i can't i can't deal with something that's so i think like the world outside I think if I watched it the same night, I learned about all the Portland stuff and all the National Guard going in. I'd be like, nope, don't do it. Yeah. But since, yeah, but since it hasn't been, I mean, it hasn't been on my forefront. So it doesn't mean, that doesn't mean it's not happening, but it was just, I haven't seen it in the news or I didn't see it on social media. I think I was more like calmed down from it. Like I took a, like it wasn't in my eyesight. So I Mm -hmm. was just like able to, get away from it so that's why that's why i couldn't watch 12 monkeys because it was like pandemic 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 all over all the time and then we started watching a show about the about a pandemic i was like yeah yeah can't get away from me i couldn't do that it was just like i couldn't yeah (laughs) but yeah with this one i was i just found it fascinating to watch i was not i was not bored i wasn't blown away but I, I think that speaks to the fact that you're watching it right now. I, I think it would be yeah. really hard to be blown away by this movie right now because it's so, it's almost too timely right now. I think it's, a, it's actually pretty good that it came out 14 years ago because one, I don't think they would ever make this now. They no. would never make a movie like this right now. No. And two, people would not enjoy seeing it. I think that's what 
I remember the prevail, like I said, the prevailing attitude of a lot of these reviews was, it's amazing. And if you want to pay attention a little more to the story, you can, but you can still just enjoy it on a face level. I think that's flipped now. I don't think you can just look at this and just see spectacle anymore. My scares, the scariest part for me was honestly was the Gordon with Stephen Fry, where he was like, mm-hmm. he was making fun of the chancellor. And then I was Dietrich. like, what? Dietrich. Dietrich. That's Dietrich. His name. Oh, okay. I thought his name was Gordon. Well, yeah, is it Dietrich sorry. Gordon? Gordon Dietrich. Oh, going deep. Okay. Um, it's Daddy Dietrich when Daddy Dietrich. Uh, when she's making fun of where she was the night the Bailey exploded. Ah, uh, okay. I was more terrified of the the fact that he was like making fun of him, and then he was like, and then she, and then Evie was like, "Aren't you worried they're going to come after you or something like that?" And he was like, "I'll do an apology. I'll do like a boring fundraiser, and then it'll be fine." And like late night talk shows make fun of our president all the time. Like people make so much money off of doing that but then he gets attacked and i was just like why i don't know i was more terrified of like what that chancellor was going to do thinking if it that becomes here what's it going to do for us i mean i think that's fair i think dietrich's character is very telling i mean again from the the toxic masculinity viewpoint like fascism has no room for homosexuality it has no room for other religions. It has no, like, it shows you that, like, these are the enemy. These are the the other that we are going to hate collectively so that we can control you, right? Like, six million Jews were murdered during the Holocaust, Holocaust, but there were five million, you know, homosexuals, dissenters, Muslims, like, all of, so many other people were murdered along with the Jews because they didn't fit that like Aryan look or attitude or yeah. be a good German by reporting your neighbor, right? Like Dietrich is this great, he talks about, you know, men in my position are expected to entertain young, attractive ladies like yourself. That's why she was out the first night. That's why she got attacked by the fingermen because she was going to his house to be entertained, you know, men in power, that sort of thing. It's this very toxic role that he has, even though it's revealed, he doesn't care. Like he he does it because he keeps up appearances, because if he was to entertain the company that he wanted to, he would be in a black bag. He would have been dead years ago, according to this regime. So it's, it's him hiding and becoming this like, He's wearing the mask of a toxic masculine figure in, you know, comedy and television because it's expected of him. But in reality, he has no interest in being this person. He's like this very well-spoken, like understanding, polite individual that like really does just want the best for Evie and takes in someone who he knows is a known fugitive, who he knows will cause him to lose his life if she were discovered there, not only for her presence, but for everything he has in his wine cellar, like the Quran, you know, the, the images, um, <laughs> God save the queen, which I, I love to this day. Cause it's, it's such a good, like, so good. it's such a very powerful, like, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> yeah. But he, you know, he, he puts on this persona and he can't even be who he really is until Evie shows up. And then it's like, come on, if, if you were caught here, like, you'd be the least of my problems. 
Yeah. Yeah. And he's not even, so like, I was going to say that, yeah, I, I found that interesting, the fact that he was only arrested for those things and then they executed him because of the Quran. Yeah. And then I thought it was interesting that he makes the same breakfast as V. What is that called? I've seen it on... on Egg in the Basket. Okay, Egg. I'm not going to lie. This is an aside. I saw this movie when it came out and I have made that dish ever since because it is delicious. It's very And good. I saw it and I was like, that looks amazing and I'm going to figure out how to make it and then I just have never stopped making it. <laughs> like, it is so good. Anyway. Uh, but I just thought, but I thought, oh, it's so funny that he's like, oh, well, Evie, I'm V and I'm the person. But then in the end, it's probably like an artistic choice, but he was like, I'm you, I'm everyone. And then they take off the mask and you see everyone who's died, including, including Dietrich. Um, yeah. And so I was a little like, girl oh. who was shot by the fingerman. And yeah, I, I love that scene. And I mean, I was going to talk about it earlier because we ended up talking about the end. But I mean, we can just bring it back today. It's kind of why I think his past doesn't matter. Because the whole point of his character is that he is an idea. He's not a person. And oh, yeah. so everything that has shaped him is this idea that this government should fall, that, you know, governments should be afraid of their people people shouldn't be afraid of their governments and you know everything about him is designed to kind of be this anti-government anti-fascism idea and so that he represents everyone and that last scene is so beautiful because it's every single person who you've seen throughout it's the people in the bar it's the people in the retirement home the it's families. The, the families, the two families, and then it's the people that are murdered or by that government, by the state, right? It's uh, Valerie and Rue, Dietrich, um, the little girl who's shot by the fingerman, like the little girl in the glasses who's killed. And I love that moment. I don't love that moment because she's killed, but I love that moment because it's when the inspector is talking about all it takes is one person to do something yeah and then you know she's spray she's spray painting a v on a you know one of the like listen report whatever it is i can't remember what it says but um like posters and she gets shot and it's the entire neighborhood is like has clubs and whatever they could find yeah. and it's like they're no longer scared of death because they've finally gotten to that point where it's enough is enough and it like not only is Donald Trump's fascism America like very relevant, but obviously during this time, during like after George Floyd, like after we've seen protests, we've seen more people of color murdered by, by the state, literally. Yeah. Um, these scenes almost seem more relevant than ever. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a lot it's definitely a lot and it's, it's hard to keep that focus on of like toxic masculinity because you really just see so much. I had a hard time with it too. Right now. Yeah. And like, yeah, shooting the little girl, like it's a little white girl. And like, yes, of course the whole collective of the audience feels for that person, but then you equate it to today in America. And it's like so many people, if that was a girl of color, like, would they feel that same audience pull? Would they then justify the shooting? You know, would they then bring up past actions of that girl? Like, 
it, there were so many things that that scene triggers in me, but like, but then seeing her at the end smile after taking off her mask is like, uh, like you didn't die in vain, but you still really did. Like, you yeah, did die in yeah. vain, but like, hopefully this brings about a better tomorrow so that someone else isn't killed. Absolutely. I mean, and I think the, yeah. the uh, there's another bit about the end, or not necessarily the full end, but as we're getting to the end of the film, it's this one thing that they did gave me chills like I've never gotten in my life. I loved how throughout the film, you're watching people watch television. You're watching the family in their house. You're watching the people at the bar. You're watching all of these people watch television. And then at the end, when it's November the 5th, whoever the director is, that brilliant goddamn director shows you a bunch of those places completely empty while the TV is still on. It's all the places it's shown the whole time and nobody. I literally, and I just got them again all over my body thinking about it. I've, <laughs> I've, I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> I've, never, I've never in my life had a more satisfactory moment of like, well, it's like you just said, planting and payoff with this movie is so fucking rewarding where you've been you've been shoved these scenes of people watching tv the whole time and you don't really know why and they show you one thing and you're like that is exactly why i've been watching these people watch television to see the moment when they're not watching television and they're out there fucking doing something about it and And it's it's when he wants them watching television the most which is funny because it's you know chancellor sutler right um he he's on the tv yeah, and he's and making this grand speech, and he's basically, you're not gonna, you're gonna be treated as as uh, traitors. You'll be shown no mercy, um, and, and and people are like, "Fuck off, dude!" I yeah, like it's it, yeah that that was really incredible, and I love the end when it's everybody taking off their masks, and it's the people that we've lost, it's the families. It really is this like. And again, it's her parents too. It's her parents. It's everybody that we've seen. And then it's the dead. And I think that it's this, I mean, I like, I mean, let me just be clear. I have thought a lot about who he was V as a person before everything, but ultimately with the way this movie is and the story it's telling, you're completely right. It does not matter who he was, what he did, any of that. It really isn't important at all it it truly is not something that matters i mean i got kind of just stuck in it because there were all these things that i never noticed before but ultimately we do not need to know what happened to him because he is an idea he is this and i think it's great i mean this this kind of ties into the end again with with natalie portman being the one to send the bus off he was an idea but he was the sort of vessel for this idea and i think it's this amazing kind of metaphor of like, well, one person can't be the one thing. You have to pass on the idea. And luckily, and then certainly in this situation, he was incapable of being the one to enact this justice because it wasn't about justice for him anymore. It was about revenge. It wasn't about making a change. So his idea was born again within Evie and she still all had all of her, her armor and her, her faculties and her, her humanity. It, it's interesting because, you know, obviously she has learned to just kind of protect herself and, and do what she needs to survive in this world because she's seen what happens to anyone who steps outside of that line. They get black bagged right in front of her. Yeah. And I think that scene is so 
uh, again, it's like it's planting the seed and then it's like, boom! <laughs> like, her as a child watching her parents being black bagged and then she screams and they find her under the bed. The same exact thing happens when they go and get Dietrich. You know, it's quickie behind. She goes under the bed the same way she did before, bust down the door, black bag him, and the one thing she doesn't do is scream. And so it's the one thing that saves her life in that moment. The, yeah. horrif- the horrifying benefit of that is that she's already been there and knows what that's going to do and right. doesn't do it. And then is, you know, that's what that's why what V does is so fucked up because she technically has gotten away. And then he right. has to come along like a douchebag and grab her. But again, like we, you know, as we talked about what he does, his methods are horrific and what he did truly is a very terrible thing. But in the end, she does grow from it. And ultimately she grows into exactly what is necessary for this story to conclude in the way that it should conclude with, with someone finally without you know, a, a blackened heart that's actually set on vengeance and not changing things. Someone has to actually be the one to do that and do it with the thinking of, I'm going to change the, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to, I'm going to make things better, not I'm going to make them pay. I think that it's, and it's funny because revenge is really, it's such an enticing concept. I mean, how could you, you know, I, and certainly coming from the experience V came from, I don't know how you couldn't at least spend years dreaming of it and dreaming of what you would do. But I think it's ultimately kind of something that, you know, doesn't really ever come up in the movie, but like, it's kind of realizing that that's not going to do anything that, you know, Evie never necessarily takes revenge on V for what he did to her, because I think ultimately in some way she says, okay, what happened to me was, horrifying but i am now without fear i don't necessarily have to love the guy i mean you know again that changes but she spends a a, a very significant time away from him because it's not necessarily a black or white thing she can be grateful for what happened and still extremely unhappy with how it was done to her um i think there that relation i mean as i said before that relationship has so many dynamics and so many different parts of the movie and you know i think it's so that interesting parallel of when she first goes down there, he's like, oh, you have to stay here for a year. And she's pissed and doesn't want to. But she never actually tries to leave. She doesn't fight him. No, she doesn't fight him. And then she goes to leave and he just fucking lets her go. I mean, it's, it's the planting payoff, the, the, way they, the way they do these things. It's so, it's so good. I did not see all those things. <laughs> And it's just, it's just, it's just yeah, that, like, right it's just because of my first time, yeah. It's your first time. I'll probably watch it within the next month because I had to rent it on Amazon, so I have it for 30 days. So. Oh, wait, my God. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, feel any better, I just bought it on Voodoo because I couldn't find the DVD. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, I think I didn't, I wasn't sure how to like this movie at the beginning because I remember when it came out, or at least when we were all in college, I was a film major, and a lot of people loved this movie. And Mm. when a lot of film majors tell you, you should watch this movie, man, it's so good. You're probably like, fuck kind of like, I don't want to watch this movie. (laughs) Or like, it was like like so hyped up, and I felt like, I wanted to see it because I like the Wachowskis, or or Wachowskis, and um, 
so I even still had that in the back of my head watching this to today where I was like, oh, that was kind of cool. That was kind of And then like, but the people from like 10 years ago. <laughs> I mean, you can see it in that final fight scene too, but yeah. Yeah. So the, I feel like the biggest theme of this movie is, one of the biggest themes of this movie is, is control. Because yeah. the Chancer wants control over his people. Creedy wants control over everyone but he still answers to the chancellor. Yeah. V wants to control Evie. But why do you think control is so powerful? Why do you think it's desired so much? It's a very broad question, I know. But. I mean, yeah, like in general, or do you mean in terms of like the context of this Both. movie? I think... Both, because it's, I, mean, I think it, it, is... it serves the movie with so much reasoning of like, why do they want control? What is it about control that makes them happy and what they're willing to do for it? Plus what we're seeing today is all about control of information, control of medicine, control of people's lives and people's bodies. I think a little bit of it, this is just like in general, people give up control to feel safe. So we, we give up, I mean, look at it post nine 11, right? Uh, airports turned into like maximum security prisons, basically. Right. Like, you can't enter an airport unless you stand in line for two hours, go through extensive screenings, right? And it's because you don't feel safe. And as a populace, if you don't feel safe, then you're more likely to give up control to someone who wants to take it from you. Or, you know, as long as they're trading something that you value more, which is generally safety. So in this, I mean, it's a very clear and solid example in this film. They attack the country itself not because they need to but the best way to scare a population to put them in that fear mode and want safety and security is to attack it show it where it's weakest and then say this is what you need to feel safe and secure again and i think people like to have that safe and secure bubble and it's why I think a lot of people have turned a blind eye to systemic racism um, and yeah. a lot of the issues that plague American society in general today um, because they've kind of given up that sense of control for their own security and turned a blind eye to the people that it truly affects because it falls down on them hardest. I think, I think that's why control is such a huge factor in this. I don't even know that e, like V necessarily wants to control Evie in any sense of the word. He does through the torture scenes, through his transformation of Evie yeah. into a fearless person. But he, I don't think he does it because like, this is going to seem random. Rape is all about control. Rape is not about a sexual act, right? Rape 100%. is about controlling another person in such a way that, yes, there's fight or there's not fight, but it doesn't matter because you're taking what you want, which is the control of that other sentient human being, right? Yeah. Disgusting, reprehensible act. I don't think V does that to Evie, even when he's torturing her, because he knows at the end of the day, that he's not getting any enjoyment out of it. He's not wanting that control over her. 
he wants her to take her control back. And it's fucked up uh, because the whole time you don't want him to keep doing what he's doing. Granted, as the viewer, first time watching, you don't know it's him, right? You think this is the government. He puts on all the different like makeups and faces and voices. You think it's Creedy. You think it's a random Scottish guy. Like <laughs> you think it's all these different people, but he wants her to take her control back, and he does all these same reprehensible things that were done to him. So it's almost like he wants her to regain that control that she's given up for security. But I think control is a fantastic fucking point. And I mean, Paul, take, take it away. Well, I think that you, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. I don't necessarily know that it, that it's about controlling Evie. I mean, I think it has a lot more to do about waking her up. And, and kind of and kind of lighting this fire in her that it's kind of ironic that she's the person that he finds because he literally kind of stumbles upon the perfect person to light a fire within. She already has been through so much. Oh, that's interesting. It's, so it's funny because, hey, I've seen this movie too much. Right. The moment that she introduces herself as I'm Evie, he says it that way. He says, yeah, oh. of course you are. Oh, fuck. And it's I didn't this even know. Moment where, that. like, for him, it's all come together. Like, yeah. it's all like, and that's, and in all honesty, like, I say that he endangers her by bringing her up to the Bailey, which is totally true, but it's because he feels like their paths have crossed for a reason. And it's because her name is E.V. Mm. Together. I, anyway, yeah. sorry. I didn't no, mean no, that. No, no, I mean, I, I never, I never, I mean, again, I've seen this a bunch of times and I never caught that. But it is, it's one of those movies that's kind of like a Chinese puzzle. You really do find new things in it every single time you watch it. I think Control is fascinating. I think on a, certainly all the things you said, Ethan, on a, on a macro level are definitely true. Um, but I've actually lately, as, over the last like year or so, I've been thinking a lot about control on a very micro level, how it kind of looks person to person, because I think that, yes, on a bigger level, people do give up their control big picture style because it's safer. But then, especially when you work a retail job, you kind of see how that control pops up in other areas. And I think a lot of people <laughs> act out in certain ways to people who work at restaurants or movie theaters or fast food, fast food yep. because yeah. it's this one place yeah. where they yeah. feel like they can have a little control. So I, I think that everybody in some way craves control. I, I think it definitely, yeah. the degree varies. Um, but I think also it's about if you have an awareness of it and if you have a little bit of a cognizance to like, Oh, that's this thing I'm feeling right now is about control. I certainly think, and I think that V is certainly a person who has taken their need for control and taken it to a very disturbing, very extreme level. Um, but I think there are healthy ways to exercise control. I mean, why do people have plants? Like, I, I, there's, oh, yeah. there's so it's many things like... you can do to sort of manifest your control into something that's beneficial or positive. But Absolutely. we're fully presented a world here where control has become so insidious to borrow another word that 
it's just, it's, it's, everything is about control because it's almost like they started here and then it just kept building and everything has just spiraled out of control into the fact that everything is about what you can sort of make another person do. I mean, again, we're talking about the first scene in the film. These are cops who are openly joking with each other about gang raping this woman. Um, right. Not just joking, but like actively like working. Pants oh, getting ready, yeah. getting ready to do so and not hiding the fact that they're cops, fully playing into the whole yeah, thing, like... making it this whole act. <laughs> And it's so funny because then, you know, they're, they're confronted with this man who is, I mean, these, these amazing because he is, you know, obviously he's a, he's a, he's a force and he's so, he's so violent and strong and like obviously takes all these guys out, but he's also super, super flamboyant. I mean, he's so, and I don't mean that in like a gay way. I mean, he's, the, think about the mask, the costume, the way he talks. I mean, it's this. It's, it's a this, performance. It's this performance, and it's stunning yeah. because yeah. it's like the wig, the wig. I mean, all of it. It's this. It's like I mean, he's a superhero, and and it's funny. I mean, they they really like. I love the bit where they're talking about him at Lark Hill, being like, "Oh, he has increased kinesiology and you know resilience to things." I'm like, just fucking say he's a superhero. <laughs> like, say he has superpowers. <laughs> like, that's exactly what we're doing here. <laughs> and it isn't, and you know, it isn't until you break it down a little bit more that you're like, he is a superhero. He has a cape and a costume and a tool belt and all of this stuff. But it's built out of this. You know, he's not trying to be Superman. He's trying to be the Count of Monte Cristo. He's this elegant, fancy. I mean, he's he's the kind of villain that you would see in like the 15 or 1600s, like those 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 guys that were just it was it was a performance i mean the whole thing is a performance and yeah. it's funny because yeah. he's i mean you know but part of the toxic part about him is that the performance because he doesn't remember it's almost the performance has become all that he is it's 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 all that there's it's all that's there is this um this idea he's really an idea i mean i think that's you know when you said that earlier i was kind of like oh yeah that is that's a pretty perfect way of describing him is that he is this he's a concept he's not a man he's yeah. um he's this created um, he's an ideology almost he's he's a way of thinking he's a way of acting he's not actually anybody and i i it's so it's so i mean again it's so interesting i never noticed the first time that you really only ever see his hands once and it's so brief i forgot that while he's cooking and and it's you know you you get that visual of the hand and then you kind of know like, oh, that's, that's not just that. You know that's all over his body. And he's, he's essentially been erased of his personhood. So putting on the V costume, it's like he finally is a person again. And I think that's why, and I think, but I think that's also why it gets away from him so strongly is that when you don't have a human face to look at, how, how could he not sort of just believe that was him? How could he not sort of get to a place in his, thinking that like V is his entire existence. Who who is he if he's not this this character that he's that he's created? I remember Gordon says to Evie, like you wear a mask for so long you forget who you are beneath it. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh dang. Oh, that's so and it's great because Dietrich's talking about him or Gordon's talking about himself. He's talking yeah. about hiding being a gay man. Of course. And yeah. and really it's poignant because He's talking about everyone. Yeah. 
like every yeah. single person we all we all yeah. tell a story about ourselves and we act the way that we tell that story in our lives and it's not always necessarily the truest form of who we are yeah. sometimes that mask is really close sometimes that mask is like when you're really honest with yourself and you're really honest with your emotions and and who you are as a person what your actions are whatever that mask is real close to who you are and then sometimes it drifts further away the more you you don't really come to face who you are but it's but never it's really actually funny. who you are it's never actually no, like it can it can exactly. be like it can be like a centimeter off from who you are but it's never the full it's never the full picture mm. and i think that's you know i mean again another great point is that I think that's possibly one of the other reasons that they decided not to go into V's past because for him, it ultimately, it doesn't matter. But for Evie, it does. It does right. matter who she was. It does matter what her past was. It does matter that she had been not necessarily herself acted upon in this way, but that she lost everything because of this government. And in, in a different way than V did. It, v didn't have to necessarily watch other people go through it. He had to go through it himself, but he didn't have to have the pain of seeing his mother ripped away from him in front of his eyes. I mean, again, we don't know, but it, it doesn't matter. We know these things about Evie and it informs so clearly who she is. Um, yeah. But he's much more of a, he's much more of a, um, I, I think he's, you know, he's, he's purposefully non-explored in that way. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't serve his ultimate goal or purpose in the story to know everything about him. It, it, it really doesn't matter. But for Evie, it really, it, it, it makes so much sense. Back to your point about him becoming this idea. Obviously he is an idea. He lives through this idea. He's a combination of Guy Fox and Edmund Dantes. Like that is, that is who he is as an individual. Yeah. And you get a super clear picture the first time you meet him with the V speech. Mm -hmm. Like the V speech is, hey, it's my favorite. It's so um, good. <laughs> it's so good because if you actually listen to it and then like, or if you just like look it up and read it, like it all points to exactly who he is. And it's all formed by V's because that is who he has personified because he was in room five and they mm -hmm. were Roman numerals. Like it's, it's so, oh, it's great. It's but really then great. his little laugh at the end is yeah. so like he knows he's a crazy person like he knows that he's not really all there anymore because he's spent 20 years on this revenge plot but he but he's just like you know what there's a lot of words going on but it's my honor to meet you and my name's Steve. like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> even though i think there is some I, even though i really do think there is some you know there's possibly a little self-loathing in there there's certainly a oh, lot of self-acceptance self he knows and, and exactly what's right. going it's on when he, it's when he sees his hands or she sees his hands and he immediately gloves up yeah because it's you know yeah and it's anytime she she tries to lift the mask yeah. a little bit it's like you know there is someone beneath this mask, but it's not yeah. who I've shown you. Yeah. I've shown you. And, and it's not I've really necessarily... Who I believe I am, but under this mask is not who... It will yeah. not reflect who I've shown you. Yeah. Yeah. It's Which such a good movie. It's really so, so goddamn good. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad oh. we chose this. This is good. Yeah. I have two. 
I'm too. <laughs> Sorry, I really am. It's been a weird. <laughs> it's been a weird, sleepy, carb-filled day. Gotcha. That's nice. Yeah. Right Made lasagna last night, so it was dinner last night, and then everything I've eaten today. <laughs> uh, I hear the uh, the vegan ricotta cheese needs a little more salt. That was that was what oh, I learned. Whatever. She. It's delicious. It's it's. So that's just her <laughs> yeah. being a perfectionist when she needs yes. to correct her recipes. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's very it's very good. I'm not the biggest like I'm not the biggest like cheese snob, um, so like I can't tell you like what's a bad ricotta. But uh, oh yeah, I don't I don't know anything about that. Overall, I was like it's delicious. It was very good. I love cheese, but I feel like I I wouldn't be able to tell a, a good ricotta from a bad ricotta. Also, if but it, it was even delicious. remotely resembled the taste of ricotta, I'd be like, yo, that is a dope vegan ricotta. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. I'm just saying. I had a lot of fun watching this movie, especially for the first time. Thank you guys for bringing it up. Last time we did this. Um, yeah, I hope we can do this again sometime soon. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys for thank for being here. Thank you for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Right. Until next time. Until Thanks. next time. Thanks again for listening. If you liked this episode, go ahead and share with someone who might benefit from hearing it. You can subscribe and get our new episodes every week. Tag us on Instagram at Boys Will Be Human, and you can join more conversations over at the Facebook Boys Will Be Human community page. And please leave a review. Reviews are crucial, especially for new podcasts like this one. The music is by Polaroid Bear. Check out his music at his website in the show notes. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you soon. Uh-huh.